Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yeah. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. I think the NHL is going to be a great entree to winter sports. Something that this uh, city of Seattle has needed for some time—a a place to congregate, get together as a community in the winter—and now they're going to get it with the NHL. And I, I think they've got a lot of smart people there, and I think they'll figure out a way to, to work with the NBA and, and and whether it be expansion or relocation, whatever it, it ends up being. I I really think that hockey is going to be situated there for two, three years, and and within that period of time, the interest is going to rise for, for the NBA to, to to come back to Seattle. Great to have you aboard for today's episode. I am pumped about the guest. I think you're going to really love it. I've got my Crowd Ultra Q&A, and my rant today is on karma. You don't want to miss that. Really happy to have you here. Brought to you by New Works Plumbing of Sacramento. Locally owned for over 20 years. For all of your plumbing needs and repairs, just go to newworksplumbing.com. And I've mentioned this a couple of times over the past few weeks. I'm really, really grateful for the people that have taken the time to send me messages on social media or drop me an email talking to me about how much they appreciate New Works Plumbing and the job that they have done for them. So I thank you for those kind words. And yes, New Works Plumbing, they are awesome. Hey, for your plumbing needs and repairs, just go to newworksplumbing.com. That's N-E-W-W-R-X plumbing.com. My guest today is one of the most recognizable voices in basketball. What a career he has had. Longtime voice of the Seattle Supersonics. He has done the NBA Finals, NBA Playoffs for uh, ESPN Radio, Westwood One. I mean, the guy's done the Olympics. Uh, he's done hockey. He's done soccer. He has won multiple Sportscaster of the Year awards for the state of Washington. It is an absolute pleasure to welcome to the show Kevin Calabro. Kevin, how are you? Grant, I'm doing very well. Thanks for asking, and I hope you're doing well now in your new environment there in Miami. It sounds like I can I can hear the energy in your voice. I know you're doing well. <laughs> yeah, it is. I am doing well. It's it's been a it's been an interesting change. That is for sure. You know, I think a lot of people would be interested to know you, you are uh, synonymous with Seattle, but you grew up in the Midwest. You grew up in Indiana in Indianapolis. So, what was your childhood like? How old were you before you first thought, well, gee, maybe broadcasting would be for me? Well, that's a great question. Uh, I always had an interest in the radio because my dad was a, he was a dit da guy, which means he would, he would listen to Morse code. He would interpret that in, into, into English, into language. 
and then would transcribe and send it to the ship's captain. He was on an LST in the Pacific during World War II. And he would tell me some stories just about the listening to to the radio signals sent from ship to ship when they were at sea and so forth. And I, I was just captivated by that whole idea of, of messages being transmitted over the over the air. And he helped me put together, actually helped me put together this little crystal radio set that, you know, you could buy from Radio Shack back in the day. And growing up in Indianapolis, we did not have major league sports at the time. So baseball really was my kind of my fallback. I love playing baseball. It's my best sport. And I used to listen to some great announcers, uh, Jack Buck at KMOX, uh, the great Bob Prince at KDKA in Pittsburgh. My dad was from Western Pennsylvania, grew up a pirate fan. And, and so we would listen to the radio quite a bit when we'd go out and visit our, uh, our relatives out in Western Pennsylvania and listen to Bob Prince calling the exploits of one Roberto Clemente and the, the Pittsburgh Pirates. So that, that was kind of my upbringing. Listen to Harry Carey in Chicago, of course, all those years and watching Harry Carey on TV doing the, doing the White Sox and the Cubs. That's how far back I go. You know, the radio was something that was, it was, it really fed the imagination because back in the day when, when I was growing up, we, and I'm 64, we, you know, we had three television stations. That was about it. We'd get the Cincinnati broadcast and we could watch uh, the Cincinnati Reds with the great, the left-hander Joe Nuxall uh, mm-hmm. doing the broadcast and the great Marty Brenneman. You know, there were some terrific broadcasters in Cincinnati at that time. So I think just, you know, growing up in the, in the late 60s, listening to baseball, observing baseball and so forth, I really, I, I was, I was captured by that. And, then the Indiana Pacers came on the scene in 1968, one of the first teams in the ABA. And, of course, we, we had any number of characters on those old Pacer teams led by the late, great Bobby Leonard, who just passed away about a month and a half or so ago. Bobby was a, a terrific coach, a larger-than-life personality. Everybody followed him and the exploits of the Indiana Pacers with the great Roger Brown and Bob Nedelecki and Mel Daniels and Freddie Lewis and Billy Keller and George McGinnis actually went to high school at a, a neighboring high school. And I remember seeing George play when I was an eighth grader when he was in high school and just being captivated by, by his skill set and just the larger-than-life persona that he had in, in high school basketball, which was you know, something that captivated all of us growing up in Indiana. Basketball was king, still is. There weren't, you know, there just weren't a lot of outlets for, for entertainment on the weekends. <laughs> so sure. you'd go to the high school basketball games on, Friday and Saturday nights, and we actually had a high school radio station grant that uh, my mom and dad could could hear. We grew up uh, about uh, three miles from the high school, and on a windy day, you could actually get the signal and, and <laughs> at mom and dad's house. Love it. So they'd listen to me do high school basketball on Friday and Saturday, and then I'd play baseball with the same guys that you know I was broadcasting the games mm-hmm. for uh, there there in high school. So it was it, it you know it was it was just spectacular it was a great sure. it was a great laboratory to, to grow up in i went to butler university and they had a terrific d1 basketball program at that time did not make the tournament but played a, a really highly competitive schedule i mean they play the the michigans we'd go out to usc and play in the, the old winston tire classic creighton and drake and marquette we had we had a home and home with marquette i remember that when they were winning the championship in the late 70s when i was going to school mm-hmm. at butler so uh, all those experiences you know, kind of molded me. And then when I, when I got out of college, I, you know, I was, I was ready to tackle some, some bigger projects. Fascinating to hear the story about you, dad, you and I are the same generation. My father told the story December 7th, 1941, 
As a 15-year-old, he was at the Polo Grounds at a New York Giants-Brooklyn Dodgers football game on that mm-hmm. fateful day. And then three years later, he was in the Pacific Theater uh, in the Navy on a ship as a signal man. And he told me a lot of the same stories that your father told you. And that was fascinating to hear the communication between the ships, not to get off on a tangent, but, you know, my dad didn't like talking about the war. And I didn't really ask him that much about the war, but that's something that he told me that now sticks out in my mind. And you just refreshed my memory with it. That's fascinating. Yeah, it is a small world. They're probably in the same fleet at, at the same time in the same part of the country in the same in yep. the same part of the world uh, covering the, the conflict. And you know, it, it, it was the greatest generation without question. And my dad, like yours, just he didn't really speak a lot uh, about great tale uh, about the conflicts that he that he saw. You know, he would he would make mention of it sometimes. The you know, kind of the horrific things that he that he did see, but not any kind of great detail. But he, he always impressed on me the the need for you know to, to do your part and, and to duty and, and honor and that and that sort of thing and, and you know those were all great traits that he passed along. How many times in your life do you think you've had someone come up to you and say, "Man, you just have a great voice"? Because when I used to hear that, I would go, "Well, that's what you're born with. You can't really make up your yeah. voice." But your voice is so distinct it is so phenomenal and i know you've been told this thousands of times i mean you have one of the great voices ever for sports casting uh, how old were you and i really mean this when you realized that wow people really love my voice well you know i i i realized i think when i was doing i used to do these nerdy things called speech meets and i got talked into it by a, a high school english teacher max mcqueen god bless him you know, Max would would make us read literature aloud in, in class, and and would make us get up and I mean, make he he demanded that you get up in front of class and express yourself and so forth, and which was difficult for me to do. Uh, but those exercises were really beneficial to building confidence, and and I think Max was the first one that kind of recognized, hey, you know, you, you got some pretty nice pipes there, pal. You know, we we need to we need to get you into these speech meets where they would kind of recreate radio broadcast so you had to go in and you would you would write copy they'd give you about 15 minutes to write write a 30 second spot they would give you like a product you know soap or furniture or a car or whatever mm. and you would write a spot and then you would deliver that you would deliver that and then you would do spot news which which meant they would give you a topic and they'd give you about a half an hour to research the topic and then you had to come on the air and or simulated come on the air and, and give a, a two-minute presentation and that type of thing and that was so beneficial to, to, to go through that. We would do it in the winter months. We do it on the weekends. You'd actually travel to some of these speech meets to other high schools and so forth. And, but I was always I was always told by these judges that you know you've you've got a pretty pretty good pretty good pipes, good presentation. You know you need to be on the radio and and so we we were lucky enough to have that high school radio station and you know great instructors, guys that had worked in commercial radio and and were working on weekends but teaching weekdays and so forth and. You know, they took an interest in, in what I was doing and, and we kind of refined some things and, and work and I work with them on, you know, just trying to command tone and diction and so forth. And yeah, it just kind of all came together. It was just just very lucky, I think, just to have the pipes. Kevin, a couple of months ago, I had George Carl on my podcast and we talked a lot about the Sonics. And we talked about the Sonics leaving for Oklahoma City. You as the longtime voice and a resident for so long in that city. Take me back to that period when the team left and how hard that was for you and all of the fans up there. 
Well, you know, I, they were sold in 06. Uh, Howard Schultz and uh, uh, ownership group sold to, to Clay Bennett in Oklahoma City. And what was interesting is we, we were, we meaning those of us within the organization, in about 04, 05, realized that there were cash demands on the Sonics and that the, the lease was coming up, the termination of the lease, or the, 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 the end of the lease agreement with the city coming up in another four years. And the Sonics ownership at that time began to talk about the need for a new building and partnering with the city and so forth. And, and that just wasn't happening. It just, it just was not working out. And hindsight always is 2020. And for the amount of money they were talking about at that time, they, you know, they easily probably could have gotten a loan and done it themselves without involving city politics and so forth, which can be convoluted in the city of Seattle and the state of Washington. So we in 04 got a sense for that because, because of Katrina, remember, the Hornets, featuring Chris Paul, by the way, rookie, were were transplanted. They were moved from New Orleans up to Oklahoma City, where they had a, a building, downtown Oklahoma City. And so I remember going in there for two years, playing in Oklahoma City, and just they, they had an electric team, a really good team, as I mentioned, you know, with a star. Mm-hmm. But they were they were loud fans. They showed up. They were it was a good fan base there in Oklahoma City. And I remember we actually interviewed Clay Bennett for one of our pregame shows and Bennett made no bones about it. He says, Hey, we want an expansion team or a relocated team. We feel like NDA uh, should be here in Oklahoma city. And of course, David Stern at that time made it known that as soon as the issues with Katrina were, were remedied in uh, new Orleans, that the team would be moving back. Sure enough, they did. And in the meantime, Clay Bennett went to work and uh, identified uh, Seattle is a, is a team that, that would be up for sale. And, so Howard Schultz, just I, I, they had just had it. I think his partners had had it with the cash calls and so forth and the, the demands. They could see that the, the building issue was not going to be remedied, and they sold the team to Clay Bennett, claiming that they had an agreement that Clay would not move the team out of town. Well, when Bennett, of course, got to look at the books and the politics and so forth of Seattle and realized that he was going to lose a lot of money in, in the current building, the key arena in downtown Seattle, he began the process of, looking for something else in the city of Seattle or the surrounding area and try to partner with local and state government. Well, many people say that that was just a veiled attempt, that it wasn't sincere and that he wasn't willing to put in his own money. And that, that all may be true, but the fact remains that there, there really was no language within the agreement with Howard Schultz and they were, they were moving out of town. I, to this day, I, I still claimed back in 06, right up until July of 06, that they would stay in town just simply because it was a big market with ties to Asia, obviously, where the NBA was expanding into China, interest everywhere in Asia in the NBA at that time and, and still, and that, and that it just made good sense for the league to stay there in one of the, you know, the top 15 media markets as well. But obviously, uh, obviously I was wrong. They, they moved to Oklahoma City and we just decided as a family after 21 years in Seattle, we just decided as a family that we had so strong a, a tie to the area and roots here. And I had four kids in four different schools in Seattle and just felt like, you know, to up, uproot them and move them to Oklahoma City would be unfair. And for me to be gone, you know, close to 150 days out of the year covering NBA basketball in Oklahoma City. And I just wasn't going to be right. So we made, you know, it made a sure. difficult decision, but it turned out to be, I think, the right one for the family. But you did end up becoming the Blazers TV voice for a couple of years. And for the folks yeah. who don't live 
in the Pacific Northwest. The rivalry between Portland and Seattle is pretty intense. I'll never forget being at El Gaucho in Portland when the <laughs> when I'm really mean this. I'm sitting at the bar and the gentleman there is talking to me about the upcoming MLS playoffs between the Timbers and the Sounders and was saying that you could not get a ticket that it was a much more difficult ticket to get than the Blazers. And he was telling me that it is absolutely crazy and you've never seen anything like it. And so, you know, I, I, I understand the rivalry. I understand Portland and Seattle. It's kind of like knocking heads. When you went to Portland, you're identified as a Seattle guy. You're identified as Mr. Seattle Supersonic, the great NBA announcer. Did you feel like an outsider at all when you were in Portland? Well, to degree, I did. You know, it had been what I was truly shocked about was it had been eight years when I was hired by Portland since I had done the Sonics. But I think I underestimated just how readily I was identified as a, the Sonic guy because of the, the 21 years. And, and obviously, the intense rivalry I knew about, you know, being very much a part of that for, for many, many years, you know, the great rivalries between those two squads. But, you know, when I, when I went to Portland, I, I identified myself as a Northwesterner first. I think everybody realized that the Sonics were gone and that there, there really was no indication as when they would come back, if at all. And, and, you know, what iteration that would be through expansion or, you know, would it be a team relocating and so forth? I mean, just, it wasn't even part of the equation at that point. You know, management had made a decision. Ownership had made a decision to change there. They had two announcers that were very, very popular. I think had, you know, Mike Rice and Mike Barrett not been as popular as they were, and it, I think they had been together for 16 years, close to that, there as, as either radio or TV as, as, as partners there doing the TV broadcast. Had they not been as popular as they were, I think it would have been obviously a smoother transition. But, you know, it was one of those decisions that Paul Allen made. Um, uh, they made the decision. Uh, they were then looking for talent. I was available. I made it known that I wanted to be back with an NBA team. That time I was doing ESPN radio and loving it. You know, as you mentioned, did, did some finals and, and was loving that Western conference, regular season and so forth. But there's, I think there's just something special about having uh, a local gig and an attachment to to a local team. And so I, with both feet, jumped in into the fire. And, you know, immediately, of course, the local columnist. Uh, and, you know, July is kind of a slow day. Sure, sure. <laughs> for a columnist. Right. And immediately they jumped in and said, well, this is a harbinger of bad things to come for the Blazers. You know, this is a Paul Allen deal run by Seattle. And, you know, don't be surprised if, if this team's in Seattle soon, you know, this is just kind of, you know, this is, you know, at first it was Bob Witsit, you know, and now it's uh, Bob Witsit was, you know, one of our executives in Seattle for many years, left in the mid nineties and hired away by, by Paul Allen. And of course, Nate McMillan was the head coach of the, the, the Supersonics and his deal lapsed after the 04 season. And, and he took off and, and became part of the, the Portland trailblazer organization. But that's kind of what I pointed out is look, there've been any number of, Big time personalities from Seattle who have come to Portland as and worked in the, as, as a Blazer, Witsit, McMillan being one. Heck, you can go back to Lenny Wilkins as well. Great point. And it, it, and it all seems to work out. So I, I went in there with that kind of attitude. You know, we we got knocked the first year. I was working with Lamar Hurd, just a great young talent. He and I had done some Pac-12 games. 
And I remember the Oregonian, I think we were into the into our partnership for about a month because it came out in late November. They immediately did a poll. Which do you like better, Mike and Mike or the two new guys? Oh, my gosh. Course, Come on, really? Got, you know, they gave us a wow. month. You know, and, of course, the Oregonian went to work on us. And, wow. But that's but that's all fine. We've You know, I think it comes down to the quality of play. The quality of play that year wasn't what the fans had expected from the Supersonics. And I think, as you know, Grant, having done just many, many years of NBA basketball in Sacramento, you know you're, you're only as good as the team you're doing at that Very point. Very true. When, when, when the coach is making great decisions and the players are playing great Amen. and you're going to the playoffs and you're making way, you're, you're a genius. But when, you know, things start to turn south, then, uh, you know, the announcers start to get harpooned along with everybody else. So by year four, last year leading up to the, you know, the, the cessation of the operations of the NBA in March of 2020, by that time, we, you know, we were clicking. We had won a couple of local Emmys. I think fans really were warming to us. And I think they identified us as, you know, part of the part of the community and part of the market. When I spoke with you last, it was about a year ago on my radio show in Sacramento. I asked you if you thought the NBA would be back in Seattle within five years. And you said yes. And now we are getting ready for the start of the NHL in Seattle. Do you feel the NBA is still on track? Do you still think we're talking about within five years, NBA basketball will be back where it belongs? Well, Grant, I got to, I got to, I, I got to tell on myself now a little bit here. I'm, I'm going to be brutally honest with you. Since, <laughs> since the the Sonics left in '08, I, when I've been asked this question, I've always said it'll be within five years. <laughs> <laughs> I love, I love it. Okay. So, so I, mean, I mean, come on, dude. So here we are. Now. <laughs> Thirteen Thirteen years later, and the window is still open. But now I, I think you hit it right on the head with you know with great ownership extremely intelligent and energized uh, front office, the Seattle Kraken, the, the, the latest expansion team in the NHL, in a brand new building paid for by private money, private interest in downtown Seattle. I think it's only a matter of time before, mm. you know, the NBA comes back to Seattle. You, you've been here a gazillion times. You know sure. what a tremendous market it is, what a legacy of great history this this team has 41 years of history and any number of Hall of Famers and an NBA championship to, to boast of. So I can see those banners flying once again at some point at the Climate Pledge Arena in downtown Seattle. But, yeah, I think the NHL is going to be a great entree to winter sports. Uh, it's something that this uh, city of Seattle has needed for some time, a, a place to congregate, get together as a community in the winter. And now they're going to get it with the NHL. And I, I think they've got a lot of smart people there. And I think they'll figure out a way to, to work with the NBA and, and, and whether it be expansion or relocation, whatever it, it ends up being. I, I really think that hockey is going to be situated there for two, three years. And, and within that period of time, they'll, I think the temperature is going to rise and the interest is going to rise for, for the NBA to, to, to come back to Seattle. Kevin, you've been blessed to do so many great things, so many phenomenal seasons up in Seattle. You know, you did the basketball at the Olympics. You know, we just talked about, you know, NBA finals on radio. You've done college football. A lot of people forget early in your career, you know, you did the Kansas City Kings. What's the most enjoyable part of your career when you look back at it? Well, I think just being around the great players and the great coaches, being you know just being blessed to travel with these guys and break bread with them a little bit and, and you know share a laugh or two and socialize with them and to a degree get to go and you know get to know their family, see some of their kids grow up and you know I did 
So I did, you know, I did Sean Kemp's whole career in, in Seattle. And then he had Sean Kemp Jr. came along and played the University of Washington. And I remember his son and Gary Payton's son, Gary too, playing against one another, Oregon State and Washington. I mean, that's that it kind of tells you how old you are, but it also is, is, is pretty gratifying. You know, you know, you've seen some of these kids grow up with and the hanging around the locker room, going to practice and so forth with their dad. But just, just getting to know some of these larger than life characters has been fun. The coaches who have the, you know, encyclopedic memories. I remember Cotton Fitzsimmons, the great Cotton Fitzsimmons mm-hmm. was our coach in Kansas City. And Eddie Johnson was one of our, our star players. Mike Woodson, Larry Drew. You know, these are these are guys that, you know, I've, Billy Knight was an executive with the Indiana Pacers. Billy Knight out of Pittsburgh, you know, tremendous shooting small forward, all part of that group. Uh, Reggie Theus was on that team in Kansas City. So, I mean, in one year, you know, I got to know Mark Olberding, Josie Merriweather, some of these guys, uh, the late Josie Merriweather, some of these guys, uh, you know, I still, still see and have conversations with, you know, Mike Woodson while, while coaching and Larry Drew when he was coaching in Atlanta and then uh, Eddie Johnson, of course, doing all the great broadcasts down there in Phoenix. You know, those, those are all guys that I, I watched play on the Kansas City team when I was 25 when I, I had my first gig. I still think it, that might be one of my most enjoyable years. It was a 39-win team that made the playoffs. Uh, at that time, they were doing the, the three-game miniseries, and we got wiped out by in the first round by by the Los Angeles Lakers. But my, I remember my wife was pregnant with her first child and actually took her to to a road game in Los Angeles in, our, our, in, the, in the first playoff game that we played down there. And we just had a ball. It was just, it was just terrific. Uh, hanging out by the swimming pool, the Amfac hotel <laughs> there in, where were we? We were down there in the Marina actually sure. up on the hill there near Loyola university down there around the pool and hanging out with Mark Olberding and a couple of the players, you know, b- before the playoff game, that was classic. And then, and being befriended by uh, Chick Hearn, uh, who was a, a great and magnanimous hall of fame announcer, all time guy. I remember him, Coming to be just a real quick story. I remember we had we were going to play the Los Angeles Lakers the night after Kareem had rewritten Wilt Chamberlain's all-time scoring record, and we rolled into Los Angeles. We the Kansas City Kings and Chick, as always, would would check on me before broadcast because I had met him in our opener earlier that year, and you know just told him that yeah, hey, I loved his work and listened to him, and and I just <laughs> just you know gushed to to, this, to Chick and. And I think he took a liking to me. And so Chick, he, he checked in with me. And he said, look, if you got everything you need, he said, I'm not sure if you're aware of it, but we're going to have an extended pregame because we're going to uh, honor Kareem. Uh, West is going to be here, Elgin Baylor. And we think Kareem is, uh, we think uh, Wilt Chamberlain is going to show up. Wow. Uh, and at that time, Kareem and Wilt had a, sort of an estranged relationship. So we're not sure about that. But of course, Chick is going to orchestrate an MC and the whole thing. And Chick says, if you're not ready for this, he says, we can patch an audio feed into your board hmm. and you can carry the ceremony if you're interested. I said, absolutely. But at that time, he had a one-armed, swear to God, a one-armed engineer by the name of Monty. Monty went to work and he set up, he ran a cord up from there. I mean, this is how archaic and crude our broadcasts were. He ran a cord up from there control panel because we were doing it up there in Inglewood, way up there in the stands. Sure. You remember that broadcast sure. location? And he plugged it into my little Shure mixer. And I was engineering my own game at that time. And I was doing radio only that night. And so I carried the whole ceremony. And, of course, Chick orchestrating. Here mm. comes 
here comes Wilk. He comes out in black sandals, black silk pajama pants, and a black tank top, and it was wild. The crowd absolutely <laughs> fell out, went nuts. He embraces Kareem. They have the award. The Lakers get their win, and 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 we move on down the road. It was it that's was, great. It was it, it was classic, and to this day, I'll always remember that. Yep. Remember how gracious Chick was, and what a great atmosphere it was. I learned a lot from Chick. First time ever at the Great Western Forum, and I've told this story before. It was 1988. And I'm so excited. First time in Los Angeles at that building and Magic and Kareem and Worthy. Mm -hmm. And I'm up in that broadcast location that you're very familiar with. And I'm there so darn early. But I wasn't there earlier than Chick because, as you know, Chick was the first one in the building. And, <laughs> and, and, I look, and I look down and there's Chick. And Chick looks over at me and I swear he gets up, Kevin, and he walks over to me. And he says, how are you? I'm Chick Hearn. And I said, Chick, it's an absolute pleasure. I'm Grant Napier. I'm the new TV announcer for the Kings. And he said, well, it is so great to have you here. If there's anything you need at all, do not hesitate to ask. We are just so happy to have you here. And I wish you the best. And don't ever be afraid to ask for anything. And I just could not believe, and you know what I'm talking about, that a man of his stature, his legendary yep. status, could be so kind and just he made me feel so damn comfortable in a span of two minutes i will never forget that first meeting with chick hearn no he was an yeah, absolute pro because he would come over and not only give you the great greeting but he'd sit down with you and tell me about your ball club tell me about this <laughs> that's tell right me about your coach. <laughs> that's right and then you knew you Turn it around, like Chick. What about you guys? Oh, he's, I'll tell you. You know, Kareem is just—he's not playing well on the post. Magic is just—he's just not where he should be. Byron's not defending like he should be. But Chick, you got a ten-game lead in the, in the in the conference. You know, yeah, I know, but they're not playing. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> oh, he was a beauty. Yeah. That guy. Oh, I love it. I say George Carl, and you say what, Kevin? Force of nature. He was George. Thought out of the box, great energy, point guard mentality, a wildness that was perfect for the Sonics at that time because we had Gary Payton, we had Sean Kemp, who were just raw as can be, but as talented as can be. But we also had a, a, a really fine element on the team, what we would call the adults in the room, Sam Perkins, Detlef Shrimp, Hersey Hawkins, guys like Kendall Gill, Ricky Pierce, Eddie Johnson, who I mentioned, those kinds of guys. That, that that really shaped that that sonic team in the mid 90s but but george was was terrific he was a terrific tactician good x's and o's guy thought on his feet wasn't afraid to buck convention at all believed in the three-point shot but really it, it demanded defense and the offense fed the high octane offense fed off this just suffocating defense that they played but you know he was a guy that would would sometimes really get down but he was he was on that roller coaster, and we were all on that ride with him. And you know, he just he persevered. I think he learned a lot when the Sonics lost in the first round uh, back to back in those two years. The, the number one seed losing to the eight seed, the Denver Nuggets, which was not a bad team at all, and then losing the following year to the Van Exel Los Angeles Lakers. And you know, George was he was right there on razor's edge. We all thought he was going to get fired the second time they lost in the first round. But to their credit, management and ownership brought him back and. You know they were able to they were able to to survive and actually beat a, a a pretty good Kings basketball team in that first round after after losing Sean Kemp due to a late season suspension. They 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 won that first game of the series, lost the second game when Kemp came back. There were some people wondering whether or not they'd be better with with that Kemp, but 
you know, survived that series and swept Houston and the beat laws, beat uh, Utah in the, in the seven game series. And then the Sonics with a 64 win season played the winningest team then in professional basketball, the Chicago Bulls, 72 win team, you know, and, 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 and lost in the finals. But it was, it was, it was great being around George because he was, he, he was, I think a terrific person. He, he was, like I say, he, he could be what's that word mercurial. He, he right. was up and down, and but we en- we enjoyed. I really enjoyed being being around the guy. I learned a lot about basketball from. Him. And I know you learned a lot of basketball doing the games on ESPN Radio with Dr. Jack Ramsey and of course Hubie oh, yeah. Brown. It's pretty amazing that both of those guys and Hubie still at age eighty eight is still as sharp mm-hmm. as a wit. But you work with Dr. Jack uh, well into his eighties and. Uh, God rest his soul. But how about Hubie and working with him? And what was that like for you? Well, Hubie is a teacher first and foremost, and he loves it when his pupils ask him questions. And I would ask him any number of questions about the game. And I, I really, uh, I, I didn't get embarrassed if it was, if it was, it seemed to be a dumb question because usually you got your best answers when you ask a dumb question. Because you'd be felt sorry for you. <laughs> but, <laughs> I love but no, it. He, but he he was and is just terrific at at dropping nuggets, putting wisdom, injecting wisdom into the game, and doing it in the requisite ten to fifteen seconds that guys only get on the radio. Because radio is a play by play guy's medium, and we were doing the radio. And UB was great as long as I would get out when the bucket was made, when the ball went through the net. As long as I was smart enough to get out and give him that that five to ten second window when the ball's being pushed up out of backcourt, he would always drop something in there that was fascinating and and it was enlightening and informative. And UB would step out of the way the minute that ball would hit half court, and he knew that you know once that ball got into the uh, offensive area that into the painted area. Then you know that was the the play by play guy's domain. But you know I also had a chance to do one or two TV games at UB, and then the roles are flipped, where the analyst is carrying the broadcast, and the play by play guy is just trying to orchestrate and, and and essentially, in my mind anyway, just kind of step out of the way and let that analyst go to work and, and throw that the, the pitch to the analyst so he can hit it out of the park. But it was always it was always wonderful with with UB because before every broadcast, just as we would come on the air. You know, when the countdown got to 15 before we come on the air, UB, a devout Catholic, would cross himself. He would say it's kind of a quiet little prayer. He'd meditate for about five seconds, put his head up, and then he'd give you the fist bump. Mm. <laughs> and, <laughs> and man, that would get your attention. That that's what you knew. All right, it's time to it's time to it's time to deliver now. UB's ready. UB ready. Here we go. And it was fascinating. I loved working with him. Uh, the great John Martin would, would produce a lot of those games. Yep. John was intense too. And it was fun working with John. It was with Beth Faber, another great producer we used to work with there and, uh, got a chance to work with John Barry, uh, a great deal. JB and I did a lot of stuff. Will Purdue, when I first started doing the games, Will Purdue was, was our analyst. So they, they, they had some terrific people over the years doing those broadcasts. And I, I loved that. I did, while I didn't get a chance to work with Jim Durham. Because there was always opposite Jim. I was West Coast. Jim would do the East, and then Jim would do the the finals. Jim was just listening to Jimmy and interacting with him as rarely as I did. But when I did, just you know, a class guy was willing to give me any any kind of suggestions or tips as long as you ask him. And you know, it was wonderful working uh, being around him as well. And you know, Doctor Jack, you're right. The guy 
the guy was, he was an iron, he was an iron man, you know, marathon guy, long distance swimmer, a frog man in world war II, winner of championships, coached at every level, coached internationally, did clinics internationally, college pro, one of the greatest blazer coaches of all time. And one of the great NBA coaches of all time. It was, it was wonderful being around Dr. Jack, you know, we, we go back and after a game and we wouldn't even talk about the game. We just talk about life. He would, he would, he would recite poetry. He would recite songs. He knows every verse of the piano. Billy Joel's the piano man. <laughs> That's funny. Sure. <laughs> yeah, he, yeah. Just, just a, a wonderful Renaissance guy. Great yeah. to be around. Final thing for you. I had Kenny Albert on the podcast recently, and I also talked with Mike Breen about doing Olympic sports. And Kenny was talking about the pronunciations, you know, of teams not involving Canada in the United States. And when you do an Olympic sport like you did and you do basketball, you're not only doing Team USA, you're doing the world. How challenging of an assignment was that for you? Well, I, I was in, we were in Sydney, Australia for starters. And of course, this is 2000. So we didn't have as, as many restrictions as certainly, you know, we have now since 9-11. And, and then obviously COVID here in our last experience, but it was, it was wonderful. I had such a great time there and that it, it, it that was not the dip, most difficult part. The most difficult part was not being around the players, not having access to the players as much as I was accustomed to in the NBA and so forth, because we, as Westwood one, we weren't the primary the television rights holders. NBC had, at priority and they, they could go to practices and, and be around the players and so forth. We could not. So I wasn't, I wasn't nearly as, as embedded as I would have uh, wanted to be with the, with the players or with the team, but it was great doing the games because I was working with Billy Packer, our analyst. And uh, it was a challenge to, to work with Billy because as you know, Billy is not a great fan of the NBA. Correct. No, he is not. <laughs> great point. Yeah, and that that and that team had some difficult moments with Lithuania and with France in the in the lead up to to the gold medal game. But there was I, I could I could have been happier with with the, with the way the things things turned out for for that team and and to win the gold and then just experience being at the Olympics and go to the various venues and so forth and and work with Billy and work with Westwood One. It was a great experience. Well, I'll tell you, it was a great experience for me to be working in the same era as you and seeing you as often as I did over the years. It's just phenomenal for you to come on the podcast. I know that our listeners really have enjoyed your stories and reminiscing, and I can't thank you enough, and I really hope that our paths can cross again in the future, Kevin. Grant, I wish you the best, man, with all your endeavors, and, and yeah, let's, it, it'd be nice to, to go have dinner at, at some point down the road now that we're, we're getting a little light at the end of the tunnel here. <laughs> Amen to that. Thanks very much, Kevin. All right, Grant. Pleasure. It's now time for Crowd Ultra's Q&A. Just go to CrowdUltra.com. Takes about a minute to sign up, and maybe I'll answer a question right here on my podcast. Brian wants to know, does it bother you when a player asks for a certain coach? I like, I'm old-fashioned. Players play, let the management do their thing, let the owner do their thing. Uh, yes, I don't like it. I'm not, I'm not a fan of it. You know, we're hearing reports that, you know, Damian Lillard wanted Jason Kidd to replace Terry Stotts, and Kidd basically upon hearing that said no. Yeah, just do what you're getting paid to do, and that's play. Luke asked, what team looked best to you after the first round of the playoffs? I really like what Milwaukee did. You know, losing to Miami a year ago, game one, going down to the wire, 
a last-second shot to beat Miami, and then the next three games were not even not even competitive. I mean, Milwaukee just went right through the Miami Heat with ease. So I, I thought maybe the Bucks, maybe the Bucks would be that team, Luke. All right, Colby wants to know: Will we see Barry Bonds in the Hall of Fame in our lifetimes? I think yes, you will. When would that be? I don't know, but eventually players from the steroid era will be getting in to the Hall of Fame. Zach wants to know, did I watch the uh, United States men's national team games this game this weekend? I did not. Uh, David, who wins the Clippers Jazz Series? I'm rooting for the Jazz. I love what the Jazz have done, but I think Kawhi Leonard will be the difference in this series. So for that reason... I'm picking the Clippers. Jake wants to know, does Julio Jones turn the Titans into contenders? You know, in my opinion, the Titans were a contender already. Maybe not the favorite among like a Kansas City. But to me, I already had them as a contender. You know, Buffalo was going to be up there this year. So Julio Jones makes them better. And with Henry running the football, I love the way they're coached. Yeah, I think they're right there. Do I would I put them ahead of Buffalo and ahead of Kansas City? No. But we don't know about injuries. And I like where the Titans are. I think they got a very good team. Ian wants to know should leagues incentivize getting the vaccine? No. I don't think so. I mean, we now have to start to incentivize people and businesses to get vaccinated? Do you know how many countries around the world would give anything to get their hands on the vaccines that we have in this country? I mean, no. Boy, I would hope, I I hope that doesn't happen. Uh, Donovan wants to know, is Damian Lillard done with the Blazers? Well, the big rumor is the Knicks. And, you know, going back to a question I got earlier, about players asking for coaches. You know, if Damian Lillard really wants a certain coach and that doesn't happen, then who knows? Who knows? Cameron asked, do you think other NBA players dislike LeBron as much as the average NBA fan? Well, first of all, be careful how you phrase that. I don't know what the average NBA fan means. I'm not going to stereotype. I know that there are a number of fans that are uh, disgusted with LeBron James right now, but I also know that there are a ton of fans that love the guy. And as far as NBA players disliking LeBron, I I really don't know about that. I I would be more interested to know why you asked the question the way that you did. Pat wants to know, how does the fight versus Logan Paul impact Mayweather's legacy? It doesn't impact his legacy at all, in my opinion. I mean, the fight was a joke. Uh, it, It was a joke before it started. I mean... I don't think it impacts the guy's career at all. How, how would that impact the guy's legacy? I don't see that. Nick from New York. Will the Knicks make the playoffs next season? Yeah, they're going to make the playoffs next season. I think that they will add a player in addition to what they already have. They were the fourth seed. Yes. Barring injury, I think for sure the Knicks will make the playoffs next season. Kyle wants to know how much does James Harden's injury impact the Nets' chances? Well, clearly it impacts it. It's one less option. 
And the other thing, now they're they're more susceptible. What happens if Durant, what happens if Irving, you know, an ankle or what have you? So, yeah, it impacts their chances. No doubt about it. Hunter asked, was Terry Stotts the cause of the Blazers' playoff problems? No, not in my opinion. The problems with the Blazers' playoff problems is when they lost to the Golden State Warriors in those playoff series, the Warriors were a better team. And the Warriors went on and won championships. When they lost to the Lakers, the Lakers were a better team. That's not Terry Stott's fault. They lost to teams, in my opinion, that were better than them. I don't think there's any question about that. Logan wants to know, does it bring you any joy seeing LeBron lose? Wait till you hear my rant. Wait till you hear my rant. And I appreciate the questions on Crowd Ultra. Again, just go to CrowdUltra.com, and maybe I'll answer your question right here on my podcast. It's time for Rant, Rant, Rant. Today's Rant is brought to you by the Home Theater Company for your audio, video, and home theater needs. Check out everything they can do for you. Just go to HomeTheaterCompany.com. Hey, do you believe in karma? What's the saying? Karma is a bitch, right? Let's talk about some karma that's going on in the NBA right now. Let's start with James Harden, who at the beginning of the season was hanging out at a birthday party in Atlanta instead of being with his team in Houston for training camp. Then he does decide to show up to camp, and he's out overweight and out of shape. And then after all of the nonsense, all right, he ends up playing and is going through the motions and is lethargic and falls out of favor with his teammates. The guy acted as unprofessional as you can. And the Rockets caved in and they moved him to Brooklyn. But I mean, as far as lack of professionalism, just put that in the dictionary with James Harden's face on it. All right. It was a disgrace. It was a freaking embarrassment for the league. I said it then and I'm saying it now. Now here we are in the playoffs. Harden's trying to get his first championship. And he injures his hamstring again. Now, we don't know how long he's going to be out. But the reality is, I call that karma. Let's move on to Mr. LeBron James. I've done many a rants on him this year, including an entire podcast. I don't know of an individual in professional sports that right now today is more hypocritical than James. He has gone completely overboard with a social media account with over 50 million followers. His actions uh, earlier this year with the police shooting of the teenage girl in Columbus was not only irresponsible, it was, in my opinion, downright dangerous. And then LeBron comes out and talks about the play-in game when it looked like the Lakers would be in the play-in game. And he said, whoever invented this shit should be fired. Well, LeBron, guess what? You're out of the playoffs. Karma, a first round exit. Maybe instead of, you know, putting out hypocritical tweets and endangering the lives of innocent people, which I think you did with the police officer, maybe endangering his life is a little bit too strong. But, you know, we live in a sick, crazy world. Nothing would surprise me right now. Your stance on China and Daryl Morey a year or two years ago, which, again, I did an entire podcast on, is as hypocritical as it gets. LeBron James, first round exit, karma. Let's move to the Dallas Mavericks. Let's talk about Luka Doncic. Let's talk about, again, the owner 
who came to Luka's defense when Luka criticized the play-in tournament back in, what was it, late March or early April when it looked like the Mavs would be one of those teams. They were in the seventh position, and Luka came out and criticized it, and then Mark Cuban came out and ripped the shit out of it, even though he and the other NBA owners voted yes for the play-in tournament. Guess where the Dallas Mavericks are right now? First-round playoff exit. Karma's a bitch, isn't it? Speaking of the Dallas Mavericks, how about Rick Carlisle, who on March 1st, okay, called Lloyd Pierce a great young head coach and that the front office of the Atlanta Hawks and their firing of Pierce was insane. Not only did Carlisle talk about Pierce being a great young head coach, he talked about how he was just great on all the social issues over the past year and how he enhanced the voting rights of people in Georgia and it turned into a blue state and I can go on and on. Hey, Rick Carlisle, you just blew a two games to love lead and your team ended up losing four of five games. Your asinine comments back on March 1st, which I called you out for. Now you are out of the playoffs and the Atlanta Insanes are on their way in the playoffs. They've already won game one of the second round. Rick Carlisle, karma is a bitch, isn't it? You can sit back now and watch those insane Atlanta Hawks maybe go on and win another round of the playoffs. What an awful move the Hawks made back on March 1st to fire their great young head coach. I mean, Nate McMillan hasn't done anything about that team, has he? <laughs> Rick Carlisle, karma is a bitch. James Harden, karma is a bitch. LeBron James, Karma is a bitch. Luca, Mark, karma is a bitch. And that's my rant for today. And that's my podcast for today. Really appreciate Kevin Calabro for coming on. Really enjoyed catching up with him. And for those of you that are listening via Apple Podcasts, I'd really appreciate it if you would take the time just to rate this podcast. And if you want, leave a comment. It would be greatly appreciated. Hey, coming up on the show on Friday, a guy that I worked with back in the late 90s at ESPN Radio, Joe D'Ambrosio, longtime uh, ESPN radio host, also longtime voice of the University of Connecticut men's and women's basketball teams. One of my favorite guys that I've met and had the absolute pleasure of working with in this business, Joe D, my guest, coming up on Friday. Hey, folks, thank you so much, as always, for checking this out. If you don't like that, with Grant Napier. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. 
With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.